Welcome to the Democracy Dispatch Podcast. I'm Justin Marsh, Political Director at Vermont Conservation Voters. This is your weekly scoop on legislative action as we work to push forward environmental policies for Vermont. Each Monday, we will take a look back at the week prior, preview the week ahead, and speak with legislators and advocates on topics affecting our air, water, open space, and quality of life. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Senator Christopher Bray of Addison County about the advancement of S-213, the Flood Safety Act. Later, I share two recorded conversations, one with Democratic Burlington City Councilor Joan Shannon and the other with Progressive State Representative Emma Mulvaney-Stanick, both vying to be Burlington's next mayor. The two answer the same set of questions pertaining to Burlington's existing climate efforts and their vision for the future. But first, I want to bring Lauren Hurl, Executive Director of Vermont Conservation Voters, into the fold for our session shakedown segment, where we recap the last week in the Statehouse and give a preview to what's in store. All right, Lauren, let's talk about some of our policies. Um, We have Act 250. So last week you spoke with Senator Keisha Ron Hinsdale before her committee voted on the Be Home Act. Um, And yeah, where are things at a week later? Yeah, so that committee, Senate Economic Development, uh, was able to pass their version of a housing and regulatory reform bill, uh, S-311, out of their committee on a 5-0 vote. And so that then uh, got sent to the Senate Natural Resources Committee. Meanwhile, um, on the House side, the Environment and Energy Committee are continuing to work hard and are starting to put a lot of pen to paper around. They've been doing tons of testimony. Lots of different ideas have been circulating about how to kind of gel their bill in a new form. Um, So that work is going to be continuing a lot this week. And so kind of seeing a lot of ideas aligning. um, So it it seems exciting and there's great opportunity and there's still a ton of work to be done (laughs) to to get a bill that hopefully can uh, make its way across the finish line. But Still a lot of optimism at this point in the session. Great. And uh, the renewable energy standard, um, we're seeing some advancement through committees there. What's the latest? Yeah. So again, that bill had passed on a strong vote out of the House Environment and Energy Committee a couple weeks ago and has now also passed through the House Ways and Means Committee and is sent next to the House Appropriations Committee. So Um, They've got a small thing to look at, and that means that we're going to be anticipating a full vote of the House on the renewable energy standard soon, which is very exciting. Very exciting. And what about the Climate Superfund Act Make Big Oil Pay? That bill saw continued testimony from a number of experts uh, in the Senate Judiciary Committee. So really robust conversation about, you know, how you would set this kind of climate super fund up. So exciting to see, you know, a really kind of active conversation happening there as well. So um, trying to get a sense of uh, when or, or if that bill will move, but uh, great conversation happening. And the House Committee on Agriculture, Food Resiliency, and Forestry is taking on the ban of neonicotinoid pesticides, and we should see some action this week on that. Yes? Yeah, anticipating hopefully a vote um, maybe as soon as tomorrow out of that committee. Uh, so that would be really exciting and really you know, able to build off the momentum of New York's passage of their Birds and Bees Act. So um, that could be heading for a floor vote soon too, so stay tuned. 
And finally, um, you spoke with Senator Christopher Bray of Addison County about S-213. What's that about? Yeah, that is uh, now dubbed the Flood Safety Act. And so we can hear from Senator Bray about kind of the key provisions and why that bill matters. But huge priority of ours coming in following this um, summer and early winter's devastating flooding. Uh, So let's go listen to more about that priority bill now. I am here with Senator Chris Bray, uh, who was our first guest this season and on the podcast. And we're so delighted to have him back. And we really wanted to invite Senator Bray back because as chair of the Senate Committee on Natural Resources and Energy, they just this week passed out one of our top priority bills. And so I'm so excited to welcome you and to get an update on what's going on with the Climate Resilience Flood Safety Bill. Sure. Great. Um, it's good to be with you, Lauren, and with all your uh, podcast audience. So uh, uh, it sounds glib to say that you're here at a great moment, but it is true because we've been working since the first week of the session and just passed a bill out yesterday, 500. It's called the Flood Safety Act, and it really addresses the uh, a path forward on a grand scale to manage the risks and exposures that we have because of flooding. This past year, we had two floods, um, about a billion dollars of damage, and uh, we know it's just a matter of time for the, till the next flood comes. Right now, we have sort of a, a hodgepodge of regulation, and uh, because river systems cover many different towns, going piece by piece, town by town, um, is really not an effective way to manage a large integrated system. For instance, there are 136 towns in the Lake Champlain Basin. So that's a task that, uh, in the committee's view, can be taken on only in a successful way by the state, which has that sort of broad view and ability to look at the big picture. Yeah. So can you give us a brief overview of what are the key sections of the bill and why are they so important to flood safety? Sure. So uh, we, again, we took a systems approach, like what are the major components and how could we manage these things better? So we start with river corridors, which are very little regulated in the state of Vermont, but it's river corridors that are responsible. The flooding in river corridors is when you see raging streams that are tearing things apart, moving sediment, ripping banks out, ripping buildings down even. Um, River, river quarters, we only have regulation in about 10% of municipalities. So that's clearly, uh, we're, not, we're not being smart about regulating there. And the state is going to be developing a program to regulate in those spaces as part of the bill. We also need to look at the spaces outside the river quarter, the floodplains. Um, sometimes you hear people refer to them as flood hazard areas because that's how FEMA, the feds, look at where there's flood risk. So the state has said, you know, we could do better management in those areas, and there's, uh, they will be developing a new set of model bylaws that each town will adopt over time. So bring up the level of management in those areas. Then uh, we have wetlands in the state of Vermont along river, I mean, in many different places, but they are giant natural sponges that hold water back, slow it down, calm it, and make the flooding less uh, violent and damaging. 
And then we also have dams as a way of managing water. And there are about 1,100 dams in the state of Vermont. Um, and we actually only have one permanent full-time employee overseeing dam safety uh, right now. He has two limited service folks. We changed that to four permanent full-time employees to help really um, get out and uh, inspect and manage dams uh, because there's a risk uh, associated with, with these large dams, uh, especially with the large ones. So um, those four things uh, uh, are really an integrated approach to helping reduce the risks of uh, flooding that we know will come. And again, you know, we're talking, it's an expensive program. I think we're looking in an order of 16 new positions and roughly $4.9 million. But that kind of cost is minuscule compared to billion, a billion dollar damage from uh, around flooding. Yes. And so we know that the uh, bill, now that it's passed unanimously through your committee, heads to uh, the finance committee and then appropriations. And so conversation of making sure that we not only pass these policies, but fund the capacity at the state to actually be able to do that work is critical. Right. So Exactly. So um, the la last thing I was coming to, we were talking about where is the bill? Um, it'll make a stop in finance. It's going to appropriations. It needs roughly investment of roughly uh, $5 million and 16 positions. I don't think they'll all be in year one. But still, uh, it's a significant investment, although it is a very, very, very modest investment compared to the cost of a single flood, um, and which is not only a, a monetary risk, but we have also had Vermonters lose their lives in these floods. So uh, the, the key thing from my point of view is that when we get funding for it, that it be sustainable funding, not just one-time money because that hamstrings any long-term program. We need to make a steady baseline commitment to it and um, take on this work. It will be the work for, it, this program will be in effect for decades to come. And it's a uh, smarter, safer way to live in a riskier world. Well, thank you so much for your leadership and your committee's uh, hard work on this bill. It's been really great uh, to see and such an important issue and so glad that it's got such good momentum coming out of your committee. So thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Well, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. <laughs> thanks. Take care. And now it's time for my interviews with Joan Shannon and Emma Mulvaney Stanek, the two party endorsed candidates for Burlington mayor. First, a few notes. Vermont Conservation Voters does not endorse in municipal elections. However, with the historic nature of this election, likely deciding the city's first female identifying mayor, and with many eyes watching the mayoral race for Vermont's largest city, we thought it would be apt for our listeners to learn more about the candidates and their environmental and climate vision. There are two independents also running, Chris Hazley and Will Evans. This election will be decided using ranked choice voting, a method we strongly support and advocate for at BCB. Voters will select their first choice candidate and then have the ability to also rank their second and third choice candidates and so on. If no one receives 50% of the votes, the bottom vote getter in that round is eliminated and those voters' second choice votes are then awarded. This will continue until one candidate receives the majority of votes. We will begin with my conversation with Joan Shannon. 
Joan Shannon is a Democrat who has served on Burlington City Council for 20 years. Shannon grew up in Westchester County, New York, and moved to Burlington in 1985. She works as a real estate agent and lives with her husband and daughter in the city's South End Lakeside neighborhood. Among highlights in Shannon's political career, she proposed zoning changes that allowed the soda plant to be redeveloped and for the city market to be built in the South End. She has advocated for stricter rules governing short-term rentals and for the closure of the former Sears Lane homeless encampment in 2021. Let's hear my interview with Joan Shannon now. Let's start off by having you share a little bit about yourself, what led you to this work, and why you want to be the next mayor of Burlington. I have been on the city council for for 20 years, and I have helped the city navigate some tough situations in the past, um, including Burlington Telecom when uh, we were 17, we had $17 million of taxpayer money that was not approved. and faced a you know significantly larger larger debt that we couldn't pay, and I think that Burlington is at another crucial time at this at this moment, really with public safety, with a crisis in um, with an, a substance use disorder crisis, homelessness, and I think that we need somebody who can navigate these tough waters. And stand up to political wins. Um, I'm one of, uh, I am one of only three that voted against defunding the police um, or diminishing the police force from 105 to 74 back in 2020. I have been endorsed by the, I've been endorsed by all four municipal unions, including the police. Association, the Firefighters Association, AFSME, which represents um, city workers across all city departments, and the electrical workers, really because they're all concerned about public safety. And I know that that's not going to be the focus of our conversation today, which I kind of welcome because we focused an awful lot on that. And there are other really important things to the citizens of Burlington. Um, and I look forward to getting back to some of those issues too. I'm a sailor. I really came here because of my deep love of Lake Champlain. And that's really important to me that we protect the lake in everything that we do. Great. Yeah, Burlington is already taking leading efforts to reduce carbon emissions in many ways, as you know, from serving on the city council in 2021, they passed an ordinance that would require renewable energy for primary heating infrastructure for all new construction. What plans do you have to further address climate change at the local level? And how do you intend to involve the community in those efforts? I think that we have to continue down our road to net zero. And one of the really important things about how we do that is that we do it in partnership with our large institutions, that we make sure that everybody is on board, that we do it in a sustainable way. Because at the end of the day, what have we accomplished if we hold the bar so high that we drive businesses and our institutions to expand outside of our community where they don't have that level of regulation? You know, Burlington's a small space. It's actually hard 
to build businesses. <clears throat> and it's hard for institutions to expand here. And if we make it too, if, if we, you know, are purist in our approach, we just drive them outside our boundaries where they don't have to meet that standard. So I want us to raise our standards, but do it in a way that we can bring everybody on board so that we can keep, um, you know, keep our businesses and our institutions thriving here in a bikeable, walkable community. And um, speaking of walking and biking, as mayor, how do you plan to promote sustainable transportation options, um, including also public transportation to reduce those carbon emissions and to alleviate traffic congestion? It, you know, in my own neighborhood, I, I was a bus rider and they eliminated the, the um, bus route in my neighborhood, ironically, because there was too much traffic congestion and they couldn't make it to the hub on time if they took the loop through my neighborhood. So they eliminated the loop through my neighborhood because of traffic congestion. So I um, definitely support expanding our um, public transportation system and also keeping in mind that um, there are we need to be conscious of disability needs, particularly with our public transportation. And that's not always included <clears throat> as well as I think it could be. But we have to expand routes. We have to expand frequency in order to have a more usable system. And also, we really struggle in Burlington with infrastructure maintenance. We're at a point now where we can't um, bond anymore. And we have done, we, we started to do a little bit of catch up um, on, our, on our streets and sidewalks, but there's so much more to be done. And unfortunately we don't have the bonding capacity to do it. So we're gonna be struggling with some serious budget concerns. It concerns me, but I also don't wanna make promises that I can't keep. You know, I want to um, do a better job of maintaining that infrastructure, but we have an old city with a lot of infrastructure needs. Climate resilience is critical in the face of extreme weather events, which we've seen the impact in other cities and towns across Vermont of, of late. Um, how do you intend to enhance Burlington's resilience to climate-related risks? The best um, ways we have ad of addressing climate resilience is the Burlington Wildways program, which will, uh, you know, creates connectivity in our wildlife corridor system, um, is engaged in replanting riverbanks. And <clears throat> we have, uh, you know, the city of Burlington is seven degrees warmer, I think, than the rest of Vermont. Um, this is really concerning. And I think it, working with the Burlington Wildways program is probably the best resiliency program that we have. Fantastic. And in closing, I know you mentioned that you're a sailor, but um, could you share with listeners your favorite way to connect with Vermont's natural resources? Yes, it definitely is on Lake Champlain and in the water. 
Um, I'm a small boat sailor, so uh, I know a lot of people have uh, have liked to associate me with yachting and this elitist vision, but I actually sail a 14-foot, one-person boat that is very, very wet, and I probably end up a little more drink, I, I end up drinking a little more water than I intend on many outings. Um, so that would be that would definitely be my favorite favorite thing. And actually just I love walking around Burlington. I love enjoying our parks and um, and yeah, the, the trail systems, cross country skiing at the Intervale. I really love that. And I love cross country skiing actually on our roads when it snows and I can get ahead of the plows. <laughs> That's awesome. I also actually I also um, do Nordic skating. And so Nordic skating down in the sea caves, that's a favorite spot. Ooh, nice. Well, we got to keep uh, Lake Champlain nice and clean. So when you're accidentally um, <laughs> drinking it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Counselor Shannon, for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Thank you, Justin. That was Democratic nominee for Burlington Mayor Joan Shannon. Now for my conversation with Emma Mulvaney-Stanick. Emma Mulvaney-Stanick is a progressive who is serving her second term in the Vermont House of Representatives and is currently minority party leader. She was raised in Barrie and started her political career as an organizer with the Peace and Justice Center and Vermont NEA. She lives in the Old North End neighborhood with her wife and young children. She has served on the Burlington City Council and in 2013 became the chair of the state progressive party. She is the only progressive on the House Commerce and Economic Development Committee, which is chaired by a Republican, and notably, Mulvaney Stanek was able to garner unanimous support for including a provision in a workforce development bill to support BIPOC business owners. Let's hear my interview with Emma Mulvaney Stanek now. Let's start off by having you share a little bit about yourself, what led you to this work, and why you want to be the next mayor of Burlington. That's a great question that I ask myself every morning when I wake up during this campaign. I have a deep love of public service. I have a deep love of Burlington. And I've always been very interesting, interested in government um, and serving, especially in leadership roles here in Vermont, because our access to government is just so easy. Uh, it's a real it's a real unique quality, which I didn't even realize until I went to school to college outside of Vermont about how um, accessible Vermont legislative legislature is as well as local government. And so I first ran for city council back in 2009 in Burlington. And it's where I really learned some of the fundamentals of how local, local decision makers in particular have a much more direct impact on the day-to-day -day lives of people. And then later on became a state legislator, but it was a little bit more removed from local day-to-day -day quality of life issues uh, that I was able to impact as a city councilor. So I quickly um, realized as I was watching what was happening in the city of Burlington for the last few years, how important, again, that, that, that uh, opportunity is to serve on a local level and wanted to turn my attention from state level policymaking back to local government because I knew I have a lot, I know I have a lot to offer. I'm uniquely qualified to help really solve a lot of the challenges that are facing Burlington, largely because a lot of the issues facing Burlington are state issues. Um, they're intertwined with local quality of life issues. And so as someone who now has ample state policy experience and relationships and know-how with my local government knowledge, uh, I can offer quite a lot to Burlington. 
And again, at the end of the day, I have a deep love of Burlington and I want to make sure it thrives. I want to make sure that uh, people can meaningfully engage in their city like they did when I first moved here 20 years ago. But most importantly, that it becomes that healthy and safe community for everyone, because that's what people deserve who live here in Burlington. And that is, again, what's really motivating to run for mayor is to really offer that back to Burlington. Burlington is already leading efforts to reduce carbon emissions in many ways. And in 2021, the city council passed an ordinance that would require renewable energy sources for primary heating infrastructure on all new construction. What plans do you have to further address climate change at the local level? And how do you intend to involve the community in those efforts? We have to do more. I was looking at the update of our net zero by 30 plan and our impact, our, um, our, our use of fossil fuels in particular, are starting to creep back up again in term, in, instead of continuing to decline. And so when I look at climate policy on the local level in Burlington, I think we have to be honest and transparent about that and understand why is that the case and how do we double down on making sure that we're being more aggressive and innovative in what we need to do to meet our ultimate climate goals. Because at this point, I'm not sure we're going to get there. And so to me, this is around uh, continuing to push ourselves in the two big obvious areas of, uh, in terms of fossil fuels, at least on transportation and heating sources. Uh, And as we do that, I think a real commitment and understanding of how do we make that affordable and um, achievable by by working folks and low-income folks, because there are a lot of those folks here in Burlington who want to do the right thing to transition their homes uh, from a fossil fuel-based heating system to a renewable energy source, but simply can't make the economics work. We have to help partner with folks as the city, especially as a city who owns two public utilities, one being electric in in this regard. Um, But we also have to think bigger than that. And that's why part of my platform is putting out a bolder idea around transitioning um, Burlington off of a uh, carbon-based fuel source generating a power generating plant, which is the McNeil plant. And I'm not advocating to do that overnight. There's a lot of pieces that have to go into that discussion. But I think we have to be, as I said before, honest and bolder in our approach to understanding our impact on climate. And one thing I'll emphasize about the McNeil plant is that there might be other options out there as we think about what else we could use that that uh, plant, how else we could fuel that plant, how else we can work with that plant to not only maintain the important jobs that are um, a part of running and operating that plant that are public, good, good public paying jobs, but also understanding um, the long-term impacts of continuing to use a carbon-based fuel source um, for a big plant. The other side of it uh, that I want to just acknowledge is that the city has been very focused on our are uh, reducing our use of fossil fuels, but we haven't been focused as much and talking as much about greenhouse gas emissions and how important it is to understand the impacts that that has on our environment. And that, again, back to Big Neil and the emissions that happens off the stack, but also at the airport, these places where the city actually has some level of authority and control, asking these bigger questions so that we can continue to innovate and make sure that we are really truly pushing the um, the trends downward in terms of our impact on the climate. As mayor, how do you plan to promote sustainable transportation options such as biking and walking and public transit to reduce carbon emissions and alleviate traffic congestion? This is such an important question as the biggest city. I want to make sure that Burlington sooner or later becomes a city where folks who live uh, in within the city don't have to actually own a car, don't have to have access to a car because it is so easy to get around town safely 
and economically uh, because we have a vibrant public transportation system people can access and a uh, walking and bike um, network that really makes sense and is safe. I've learned along this campaign trail the concept of 770, which is this idea where if we have a truly usable and safe um, biking network in particular, and and probably pedestrian network, uh, that a seven-year-old and a 70-year-old person can both use and navigate that system safely on their own. And we're just simply not there yet. Um, I think there's a lot of good information in some plans that have been developed um, around bike and ped um, uh, policies that we haven't fully implemented yet as a city. I know though we have a lot of economic needs. We have a big city budget um, issue ahead of us that has a, a gap. And so I think we can also not roll back at, at attempts, but really think about what are the most cost effective ways we can do this um, without making it a Cadillac version. We could still do significant things and be strategic about it. As a mom of two small kids, I think often when I walk my kids to school every day, even if we start with um, safer zones around schools where people who are bringing their kids to school back and forth every day and kids themselves on their own, hopefully at some point, how do we make those safer uh, routes for kids to use bikes and to walk on their own confidently um, and, and safely? And there's a lot we can do there. So again, even if we strategically focus on per certain zones within the city, that starts to move us uh, in that right direction. The last thing I'll say on public transportation again is not only do I think we need to really maintain a free, fair system as if we can remotely possibly do it with, with Green Mountain Transit, but in order to probably really do that and make sure we have efficient um, schedules and the ability to have them run in a way that uh, folks can uh, access on any day of the week uh, to truly get out of cars, um, we need to probably think creatively with partnering with large employers in the area who are also providing buses and other types of transportation but they're not connected right now. And we've all seen, at least those of us who live in Burlington, empty buses going up and down uh, East Avenue and other places uh, that are attached to UVM Medical Center or UVM proper. And we can just be smarter about really making a, uh, a working public-private partnership work that could really make a comprehensive transportation system for folks. Uh, climate resilience is critical in the face of extreme weather events. And we've seen the impact they've had on other cities and towns across Vermont. How do you intend to enhance Burlington's resilience to climate-related risks? This is a big and timely question and sort of, I think, the biggest question of our generation to not only think about reacting right after the storm and how do we repair, um, how do we build back, but taking the time and putting the resources aside to actually build that resiliency. And I think about our infrastructure. I think about um, people's individual um, properties and homes and uh, where people are located. I also, from my economic justice background, also think about the disproportionate impact, especially on low-income folks who often are the folks who find cheaper housing because it is in floodplains or it is, in our case, closer to the lake or closer to the Winooski River, um, or more likely to have uh, water issues um, because of, of runoff or groundwater and whatnot. So I think we, we really, this is when I talk about um, our climate policy. This is where I think we need to be bolder and building out a more comprehensive climate response um, plan for the city. I also think we have to be realistic around the other sides of impacts of developing the city out more. Our infrastructure is, is close to capacity in terms of our wastewater system and our water uh, system in general. So thinking through those big investments that not only can support um, the development of the city, which helps us with our housing crisis um, and our affordability crisis, and understanding that puts more capacity, um, or more impact, I should say, on the capacity of a very old wastewater 
treatment system that we have in the city? And where do we need to be making those investments so that we mitigate our impact on the lake, um, but also have the ability to hold the additional stormwater capacity that goes into a combined system? I'm going to get super dorky in this in this like <laughs> policy world, but I mean it's re- it's real. When our hundred year storms are coming every ten years, that's a lot of water to manage within a city. Um, and to make sure that we are uh, just working and investing as much as we can to, to be able to um, uh, withstand the negative, the negative and harmful impacts and damaging impacts that those big storms can have. And in closing, uh, could you share with listeners what your favorite way to connect with Vermont's natural resources is? Oh, yes. Floating in the lake. Hands down, floating in the lake. It's such a magical place. When I I grew up in central Vermont and we would have, you know, rivers and, 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 and whatnot and streams around, but there's nothing like the big, beautiful Lake Champlain. And it's one of the reasons I picked Burlington as my home when I came back from college um, to move back to Vermont. It is just not only a beautiful place, uh, it looks different every single day in the most um, breathtaking way, the sunsets, the sunrises, um, but being able to actually just simply float and enjoy all the different personalities of the lake is just one of my favorite things. That was progressive nominee for Burlington Mayor Emma Mulvaney-Stanek. I want to thank our guests, Joan Shannon, Emma Mulvaney-Stanek, Senator Christopher Bray, and of course, Lauren Hurl for assisting me. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to follow us on social media. You can subscribe to our emails, see our legislative environmental scorecard, and learn more about our work and policies by visiting vermontconservationvoters.org. Next week, we will be back with our annual halftime report show, which is where Lauren and I will walk through each and every of our policy priorities and where they are in the process of becoming law. This will be our last episode before crossover, which happens on March 15th. And our next new episode after that will be slated for March 18th. Until then, thank you for listening.